0: fantastic. Good to see everybody. Be seated. You're taking up my time every time you do that. Anyway, very excited for Jonathan's new role. Uh, he is going to be assisting Vice President Doug Graham uh, in the area of spiritual life as kind of a grad assistant. Uh, we have GAs that work in sports all the time, so now we've got a GA working in church. I think we may be the first one in the history of the world to have a church GA, a grad assistant. So anyway, good to see everybody here. Get your Bibles ready. Uh, How many physically bring a Bible this large to chapel? If you have a Bible, let me see the big Bible people. If you got a big Bible, stand up. If you're proud of your, stand up with your big Bible. Big Bible folk right there. I'll bring my big, big Bible. This is my little one. I'll bring my big, big Bible maybe next week. If you ain't seen my big Bible, I'll bring it. Anyway, great to see everybody back after the holidays. And uh, it was a great time. Now everybody's looking at their Bibles, talking about their Bibles. We're going to be in um, 1 Kings chapter 19 in just a moment. 1 Kings 19. It will be up on the screen for everybody that has to read from the front. Um, or from your phone. There's nothing wrong with that, but um, I am going back more and more to my physical book that I can turn the page, find the books. It just makes it more memorable. I don't know. Uh, maybe it's just from my era, uh, but um, I, love, I love my Bibles. I saw something powerful the other day about a physical Bible. Our Chancellor, Rich Wilkerson, had a chance in December to be in Miami for a couple of days with... Uh, Dr. Tennyson, Dr. Brathwaite, and I, uh, by the way, Dr. Tennyson, we had a chance to go down and spend two days, two eight-hour days uh, with Voo Church. you heard of Voo Church, Pastor Rich Wilkerson, Jr.? So he invited us down to do a 15-hour seminar over two days on uh, biblical leadership, seminar on biblical leadership. So we, I spoke, Dr. Tennyson, Dr. Brathwaite, Dr. Antipas Harris, Potter's House, the four of us, we crafted this really fun two days. Dr. Tennyson, uh, and Dr. Brathwaite, Dr. Tennyson was a rock star down in Miami. We take him for granted because he's right here among us, but uh, I heard the guy for two days. We each spoke like 45-minute sessions, and we kept rotating and uh, it was it was magnificent, um, great time. But when I was down there, our chancellor, Rich Wilkerson Senior, uh, who is in his sixties, Rich Wilkerson Junior's mid thirties, they both pastor in Miami. Dad has about four thousand three four thousand people. Son has about six or seven thousand people. Um, but Dad started the whole thing. It's just a powerful, wonderful thing God's done in Miami. But um, Rich Senior told me he did something his whole life, and it was so powerful. He had a Bible that looked like this Bible, and he said every year he would read his Bible. He would read that whole Bible in a year, and he would mark the Bible, and he would write notes in it. That was his Bible for that year, and then at the end of the year, he has three sons that are in full-time pastoral ministry. Taylor pastors in New York, uh, John Fulton or JF pastors in the Seattle area, and then of course, Rich Junior's in Miami. He then gives us a gift his marked Bible to his sons. So his sons have been collecting their father's Bible. It's one of the most powerful legacy things I've ever seen. There's no doubt those sons know that their dad loves the word of God because he keeps giving them a fully read, fully marked Bible uh, year after year. So love the book and uh, love being back in chapel today. And we got lots to cover. Um, No pictures today, just uh, I got kind of an extended text. I'm going to read it. Follow along, then we're going to come circle back on a couple of things. Here we go. Uh, 1 Kings 19. Now, I've used this passage before, and the thing about Scripture is I've probably preached at least 20 different messages from this text, not on the text 20 times, but 20 different insights from this particular story. The, the beauty of Scripture is the ability for this living letter to continue to talk to you, and it means something different uh, at each stage of your life. The Holy Spirit in this love letter from heaven to us helps the Bible become real time. When I read this when I was 20, I saw something at 20 that I didn't see when I was 30, 40, now 57. I read it through the lens of a life lived. And so there's always new things, even in familiar passages in the Bible. So don't say, hey, I've already read that, I already got that, I know where this is going. So let, let's, let's walk through this real quick. It says, now Ahab told Jezebel, that Elijah had done what he had done and what he had done in chapters 17 and 18 uh, is epic in Elijah's life. First of all, the guy's walking very intimate with God. He is commanding the clouds. When you can command the weather, not wish, but it's going to rain or not rain based on your command, you're walking very close to the Lord. When you pray for fire to come down and consume The attack of the enemy, you're walking pretty close to the Lord if he is like responding to those kind of requests. So he had just come out of his great victory on Mount Carmel, and in which the Lord defeated uh, this vast host of the prophets of Baal. And now there were three basic Guiding paradigm gods in the Old Testament, there was Baal, there was Asherah, which was the female version of Baal, and there was Moloch, which was this god in which they sacrificed newborns to this god. And well, maybe this semester we'll get into a little bit more about those three paradigms of evil. But here he had just come through this iconic win for the kingdom on Mount Carmel. Now Ahab's the king, <coughs> and he tells Jezebel. All that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, so may the gods do to me and even more if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. you got to underline that in the Bible. There's tremendous significance to the idea that I'm running out of time. That I'm out of time. The enemy uses Deadlines. Deadlines. To freak out your psyche. And so by this time tomorrow, you're toast. So remember that phrase. And he was afraid and arose and ran for his life. And came to Beersheba, which was this great altar of the Lord in which God spoke freely to Abraham. I mean, Beersheba is a powerful, powerful emblem in the Old Testament of God's safe, provisionary space where you hear from the Lord. He came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and he left, he left his servant there. Next slide. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, and it's fascinating. It's like literally most scholars believe it. It's, for whatever reason, they've assigned 26 miles to this, a marathon. So a day's journey is the space you can travel in a given day, and you often see, a a scholar say, approximately 26 miles into the middle of nowhere. Now he's done it alone because he abandoned his one companion and his community was his companion. Now remember that phrase. His community was his companion. So he left his community and went 26 miles into the middle of nowhere and he sat down under a juniper tree and he requested for himself that he might die and said, it is enough now, O Lord, take my life, for I am not better than my father's. He laid down under and slept under the juniper tree, and behold, there was an angel touching him while he was sleeping, the God was working, and said to him, <clears throat> Arise and eat. Then he looked, and behold, there was at his head a bread cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water, so he ate and drank, and he laid down again. Then the angel of the Lord came a second time and touched him and said, pretty obvious way to look at the text devotionally, that God touches us several times when we are at this kind of lowest point in life, this portal, when you've come out of the biggest wins of your life where you would think there's a natural momentum when you've been winning. And then suddenly... He needs the touch of God to get through the day. And so the Lord touches him a second time and says, Arise and eat. Then the Lord adds this phrase through the angel, because the journey is too great for you. You're actually correct, Elijah. Your worldview that has sent you to the middle of nowhere alone to die is actually, there is some sound, good theology in your worldview, but it's a partial theology. The journey is too great for you. You cannot do this alone. You can't bear this alone. You can't interpret this on your own. That's his problem. He was trying to interpret life from his own experiences, and his own fears, in his own past. And that's why we have the Bible that helps us interpret our conditions at all times. It's always helping us interpret where we're at. It's helping us interpret what's going on around us, in me, through me, through them. If I don't read the Bible, I don't have the interpretation of my condition. So now I just have to interpret it on a whim. It's guesswork, man. And that's what sent this guy into a tailspin after a season of winning. So now it says... So he arose and he ate and drank and went in the strength of that food for 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the mountain of God. Now, the first time God touched him, it got him through the night. The second time God touched him, it got him through the month. Now, here we go. Then he came to a cave and he lodged there. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and he said, What are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I have been very zealous for the Lord. The God of hosts, for the sons of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I alone am left, and they seek my life and take it away. So he's had the strength of God for a, not quite a month and a half, 40 days. 41 days, because the first feeding got him a day, and the second feeding got him 40 more. So he's 41 days into this recovery. But his head is not screwed on right. He's interpreting his world incorrect. He sees how he's positioned in his world falsely. He thinks he's alone. I alone am left. I'm the only one who gets it, God. I'm the only one here who understands. Even though the Lord had given him him strength for 41 days, his head wasn't screwed on right. Now watch this. He said then, the Lord said, go forth and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord was passing by and a great and strong wind was rending the mountains and breaking in pieces the rocks. That's crazy that wind could start busting up rock (laughs) before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake of fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a sound of a gentle blowing When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entrance of the cave. So the Lord was in the gentle blowing. Just devotionally, it's interesting that that Elijah had all this noise going on in his head. And that the Lord came in this anti-noise. And he said, your world is crazy, but mine is not. I'm not in earthquakes and thunder and busting of rocks right now. That's how you feel on the inside of your head. I really am not coming according to your interpretation, according to your language right now. I'm not going to hit you in your love language or your, or your discouragement language. I'm going to come in this other form of this calm that comes through, that just kind of goes through his soul. He goes out and responds. And then the Lord said, what are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah. Then he said, I've been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the sons of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am and they seek my life. Have you ever talked to somebody and they always read from the same script? When you're feeling like a victim, blah, 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 blah. Here's my, I'm reading the script that I've been handed by somebody's handed me this script. And this is, this is my answer every time I'm posed with a question. Here's my answer. Not my testimony. This is my script. That I've been handed by the media, that I've been handed by society, I've been handed by the enemy. Here's my script. And this is all you're going to get Anytime you want to have a let's get real conversation. I just read from my prepared statement. So here we go. Watch this. Then the Lord said to him, Go return your way into the wilderness of Damascus, and when you have arrived, you shall... No, 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 go back, go back, go back, go back, go back. Okay, Elijah. Okay, I'm sorry, next verse, I'm sorry, next verse, we're in the right spot. Then the Lord said to him, go return your way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when you have arrived, you shall anoint Hazel, king of Aram, and Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint king over Israel. The son uh, said, prophet, verse 17, it shall come about the one who escapes from the sword shall be put to death the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu, Elisha shall put to death. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal. Now watch this, in every mouth that has not kissed him. Now watch this. Elijah just said he was alone. I'm the only one that's righteous. I'm the only one who gets it. His head wasn't screwed on right. Because Because he was reading from his script. And the Lord was saying, no, 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 buddy, there's 7,000 people who love me. You're not the only one who loves me here. You're not the only one who gets it. So let's just talk about there's so much, so much, so much, so much in this story. You could just preach for a week out of this text. Let me just share with you a couple things as we go through this that are kind of big on my heart uh, as we go into 2020. Wow. 2020, how many were born in the 2000s? If you were born in the 2000s, stand up. All right. Okay, sit down. We already know you're taking over the world. Okay, we all, we all, all of us from the 1900s get it. See, once there's enough time and you've shifted, like I never ever said, oh, back in 1894. You simply said back in the 1800s. You lumped it. We've now reached the lumping stage, 1900s. How many of you were born in the 1900s? If you're if you're born in the nineteen hundreds, stand up, stand up, stand up. Come on, nineteen hundreds. Okay. Woo. Come on for the nineteen hundreds. <laughs> Beautiful. There's a new division. Todd, I just created a new division. <laughs> We have a split campus, folks. We have a split campus. As we, as we look at the year, this semester, how many of you ever heard the phrase uh, "carpe diem"? Carpe diem, kind of a cool term, it means seize the day. It's really shorthand for a longer Latin phrase that, that's actually older than Jesus. It was coined by a Roman, I think it was a poet or a satirist. Anybody know who his name was? Horace. Horace. About 65 years before Jesus, he was born and he didn't live a long life. He died, I think, in his 50s. He, he died before Jesus. And he wrote this Latin phrase, which means it doesn't mean seize the day, it means pluck the day. Pluck the day. And the idea, and they condensed the longer statement to Carpe diem, which means seize the day, is how it's been passed along. Um, but the idea was, you have no guarantee that tomorrow will bring you the same opportunity. So the idea was, is to enjoy the present, take advantage of the present, seize the day, because tomorrow doesn't bring a guarantee. And even, that, that's theologically correct. Scripture would agree with that phrase. I think, what was that movie, Back in the 1900s, uh, 1980, Dead Poets Society, or Dead Poets. That's where this whole thing came back into play, because I I remember they were quoting a bunch of poets from the 16th century, when the phrase, after 1600 years, kind of got resurfaced through writings in the 16th century, so in the Dead Poets Society, they're using this phrase. So I remember back in the late 80s, early 90s, everybody was saying, carpe diem, seize the day. Um... Do you know the opposite? There's a phrase opposite. Carpe, uh, I think it's, help me with my Latin here. Uh, noc, noc, notchum or n- notchum. Notchum. Seize the night. Noct, noc, noctum. 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 Carpe noctum. Now here's this. Look at this. It's opposite of seize the day. The idea of carpe noctum is you have to take advantage of the night because you wasted your day. And actually... Anybody ever remember that show in the 1900s, Angels? There was a key character by this name. There's also a magazine, I think it's a goth publication called Carpe Noctum Seize the Night. And it's the idea that you've wasted your day and that the night is where the power lies. Now, the idea of seize the day, pluck the day, simply means this. Don't screw this up. Don't screw it up. Every student in this room, you have one job at North Central University. To be a contribution, not a distraction, and to succeed academically. you got to do well. You have one job to do well in school. I'm going to say that again. Do you know how many millions of students want to be... College students or millions of young people want to be in college again. You know many people my age screwed up and they didn't take advantage of this? Don't screw it up. If you're a freshman here, you're a senior, don't screw this up. You've got a window. You've got to seize the day. But you know what? That's not just for the students. I get a call almost every week from somebody who wants to teach here. They can't find a space to teach, so I tell the faculty, don't screw it up. You have got a great life and a great window. Don't screw this up for yourself. Do you know there's eight eight fully accredited universities like this in the U.S.? Northwestern, Kirkland, Vanguard, Southwestern, Evangel... North Central, Southeastern, and Valley Forge. There's eight of us, or there's seven, seven of us that are fully accredited universities like this. I did the math. If all of the deans of those seven schools average four or five deans, let's say there's 35 deans in the country. My word to the deans is don't screw this up. You have one job out of 35 in the whole country. Don't screw this up. I counted the vice presidents. It's even smaller than the deans. There might be three. There might be twenty to twenty-five vice presidents. So, to my VPs, I'm telling you, seize it. Hey, don't screw up this opportunity in your life, Dr. Denton. Don't screw it up. Hey, Scott Hagen. There's only seven of these jobs in the country. Hey, dude, don't screw up this opportunity in your life, Scott Hagen. There's only seven shots at this job. Do you get what I'm saying? Seize the day, pluck the day means that I'm not going to blow this moment in my life. Because I may never get it again. I'm not going to be, if I blow this as president, I'm not going to become another president. I got one of seven jobs in the whole country. I think about that all the time when I'm driving here. So when I talk about seize the day, I'm not yelling at freshmen in this room. Everybody in this room has something terrible to lose. If we don't take this seriously, Take our calling, our job, our assignment, our moment. We've got to take it serious. We've got to pluck the day and not let it pass by. I wrote down some things in my journal this over the holidays that were somewhat serious in nature. I just want to read it. We're going to look at three things inside this text. I wrote down... um, I climbed Mount Everest to the base camp. I didn't climb Mount Everest. I climbed to the bottom of a mountain. I had to climb 100 miles there and back to get to the bottom. If I wasn't being watched or watching other people do it, there's no way I could have pushed through my limitations. The power of community and the real grave mistake Elijah made is that when he was triggered by the voice of Jezebel, something that he had historical relationship with Jezebel. Because the reason Jezebel frightened Elijah is because she had power. And when somebody with power says they're going to kill you, take you out, block you, ruin you, destroy you, and they have the power to do it, the natural power, there's not a human being in this room that would not have a heightened eruption of anxiety. And so he triggered this guy who just saw 450 Prophets and, and rain stop and fire fall is triggered by one person? That's how life works. Matter of fact, when I stand before large groups of people who don't like me, I actually feel strong. Same. Come on, bring it. Right. <laughs> Preaching to all these haters or whatever. And I told Karen, I'm going to do a thing called hater theology in one of my chapels this year. But there's something about a mass group of people like when the men of Sodom all came to Lot's house, he went out on the doorstep, closed the door and spoke truth. How can one person do what the prophets of Baal could not in Elijah's life? It's the power of historical triggers. It's the power of our past. It's the power of power. But one person, one misplaced text, phone call, can just trigger a downfall that is so uncharacteristic of the winning that Elijah had been experiencing. We need to take notice that we all have the potential for that trigger. Now, the safety net was the community around Elijah. Now, chaplain's what time? 11, 1150, right? We end at 40. Beautiful. Okay, here we go, here we go, here we go, here we go. <clears throat> Glad I asked. Now watch this, watch this, watch this, watch <clears> this. <throat> this trigger happens in him, and it says he left his servant there. The biggest mistake he made when he was triggered was to sever himself from his surrounding support community which was down to one servant this word servant represents a young person who had the strength to be a runner for help so he abandoned that youthful assistant that if elijah was hurt in the wilderness he could have ran for help he said you stay here you rest and the word there the hebrew is he silenced him he silenced his community and he went 26 miles in this direction alone And at that point, he's exhausted, and he has no future plan. His plans are shot. So then when you're tired and you have no plans, then you just feel like you want to die. And he requests of the Lord to die. I wrote this down in my journal, and I have two minutes, is this. Here we go. If I wasn't being watched going up to base camp or watching other people do it, If I wasn't being watched or watching others, if I wasn't being watched or watching others, if I wasn't being watched or watching others do it, there's no way I could have pressed through my limitations. When you tell your community to be quiet, sit here, and you move on without that surrounding support structure and you just are left to the trigger, the downfall, You're going to go through a difficult process in life. You're not alone. The Lord is there. But it could have been much different. I want to say this. The more absurd our social world becomes, the more direct, cutting, and judgmental the Bible starts to sound. Okay? I'm preparing you. The more absurd our social world is becoming the more direct, cutting, and judgmental the Bible will begin to sound. The gap between social practice right now and biblical teaching is glaring. The Bible is only going to make sense to people that are saved. It's only going to make sense if you're saved. That's what Paul said. It's spiritually discerned, these words. They're discerned spiritually by a spiritually minded person. To the world, they sound like foolishness. You're unenlightened. I'm just, I just want to prepare you to be the only Christian in the room. You're going to this school. Not so you can just fight off the triggers, but learn how to handle those. I have them too. I got triggered on something over the holidays. But I will tell you. Because I didn't tell my friend to leave, stay, you're silent. I'm moving on without my community. It took a simple text and a phone call to a person, to say, hey, listen, I need you to screw my head back on right, right now. I got my head screwed up, screwed up right now. I'm having, I got, I just instantaneously went from winning, 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 winning to this other feeling. I feel the strength of the Lord, but my head's not screwed on right. Can you help me? We prayed together real quick on the phone. The entire conversation was four minutes. Because I didn't tell my servant to sit there while I go 26 miles into the middle of nowhere. Very simple thought, this semester, you're gonna have wins, you're gonna have triggers. Wins and triggers, it's a cycle of life. Please keep your community, your academic advisors, your your discipleship leaders, your your mental health counselors, your faculty, your teachers, your friends. Don't silence them. Because I don't want a person in this room, myself included, to screw up this opportunity. We've been given a a once-in-a-life moment to be president, vice president, faculty, staff, students in this wonderful story. I don't want to screw it up. You're not going to screw it up. I believe in you. And I think you've got your head screwed on right. Just don't let something trigger you to undo all of that safety net that is around you right now. Let's all stand together. Lord, forgive me for preaching two minutes too long. And Lord, I just pray that you would bless our week, our chapel, our classes, our students. We love you, Jesus, with all of our hearts. In Jesus' name, carry the word in your heart. Go seize the day. And be great at school. Do your homework. God bless you guys.